in the beginning, reach out to your circle of influence, which is people who are close to even your parents, and they're willing to help if they think you yeah. know what you're doing. <laughs> start there, right? Friends and all that. And then build your way up and start reaching out to a bigger circle of people. At that time, you already have traffic either on social media or on your website or, or pictures, videos, all that really counts, right? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives, and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from sunny California. And today I have a very interesting guest on the show, Cody Yes. So Cody is the owner of Mr. REI, a firm that specializes in converting single-family homes to duplexes. And he's also a stock and options coach and a YouTube influencer. And he specializes in personal finance and real estate investing. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of you have been investing both in the stock market and in real estate. So what's interesting also about Cody, among other things, is that he started out as a first generation immigrant from Taiwan and he arrived in Canada at 18 on a student visa. So as you can see, he's, you know, we have something in common there, but it will be very interesting to pick his brain and kind of hear from him about his experience. Cody, you know, today he generates five-figure monthly returns through his investments and stock investing for beginners community. And he graduated from University of Toronto with a bachelor in mechanical engineering. So a smart guy. And he recently completed a course from Harvard Business School on disruptive strategies. would like to welcome Cody to the show. Hey, Cody. Thanks for having me. It's funny because I feel like you read through everything on my LinkedIn probably. <laughs> we, we do a good job at looking into your bio and making sure that, that our listeners know who they're listening to. So yes. So Really, you know, I want to appreciate you and, and really appreciate the time that you're you're going to dedicate to the show today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what brought you from Taiwan to Toronto and how did you find yourself investing in real estate and investing in a stock market from that point of view? Yeah. So I came to Canada, like you said, when I was 18. I chose engineering school because I thought I don't have to write any reports. So uh, I, there I was wrong, but I thought I was good at math. <laughs> And then when I was in the school, I found out that I have more interest in finance and accounting and finance stuff and stocks, options, investing, right? And 
engineering school was good, but it basically taught me how to learn. That's what I walk、mm. away with with a very high pressure cooking system. And how do you learn very efficient, right? And after that, I was working for Honda, a car company, as a project engineer. We're managing projects in the industrial space, right? We're investing in single family, kind of, or commercial, multifamily. But I was managing projects in the industrial space from half a million to all the way up to you know ten million, all that. So I have experience dealing with gan chars, contractors, all the games, you know. So what really struck me to start investing is when I was working really hard. I was putting four hundred to eight hundred hours of overtime, and what I found is that half of those money were gone, right? Because you know high tax in Canada,、mm-hmm. so it's not very efficient, and I was burning myself out. That's when I tried to prove myself. So I met my day trading coach at that time. She was she has no marketing. She was very low key, but she was managing a lot of money. Learning from her, and I, what I found is that day trading is a little bit too time consuming and physically demanding. So that's why I was stabilizing what I'm teaching now on the side for my stock option strategy, which makes people one to four percent per month, right? One to four percent per month. And less than thirty minutes per day. A lot of my students, alumni, are spending less than thirty minutes per week. So to me, I always look for what's the best way to have the highest return on time and lowest return on stress, right? So from day trading to stock option investing, and that's how I get into real estate in 2016 as well. Is really a leverage play, cash flow positive. Now we just sit and wait, kind of thing, and then we can refinance. Keep pulling on money, keep buying more, keep going further out. Whatever cash flow allow us to do that, right? And we more risk adverse ways, and has been treating me really well. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, the your story and the path that you've taken because a lot of my investors they're coming from the tech world, they're tech executives, and many of them actually, you know, they love their their job, they're making a, a decent salary, and the one thing that I hear them ask me over and over is, you know. What is your number one recommendation if I want to become a full time passive investor? Because I want to—I don't want to work, even if I love my job. You know, I don't want to work until you know. I don't want to drag it to retirement age. I want to retire early. I want to spend time with my family. I want to—I still want to be engaged in you know in investments. And what you described is is very appealing to those who you know they want to build wealth. They want to build. Reoccurring income, but they don't necessarily want to do overtime. They don't want to pay high taxes. And what you said there was so true that you, when you work hard, when you have only a W two job and you work hard, you're being taxed. When you're investing, you're not doing, you know, the grunt work, and you get a lot of tax benefits. And I remember back in Israel, I was working a W two job, and I had in the evenings and weekends a law office because I wanted to make more money. By the end of the day, I didn't make anything because everything went to taxes. Yes, yes, I was putting four hundred to eight hundreds of overtime. You were probably putting、Amazing. in more, hoping that we're climbing the corporate ladder, right? But we just、mm-hmm. went up the minions. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I want Cody to kind of start a conversation on the asset side, and you know, you're investing in single family homes, you're investing in the stock market as well. As someone who's investing in the single family homes, you know, market. What happened recently, and it's not a new phenomenon, but it started, you know, accelerating and, and escalating in the U.S. Especially, companies like Blackstone and other institutionals are 
buying companies that buy single family homes. And it looks like supply for single family home is very, very limited. And a lot of, especially first, you know, uh, first generation wealth creators like yourself, you know, they use single family homes as in rentals as a way to build wealth. And now it seems like it's getting harder and harder to do because the big guys are taking that away in a sense. What are your thoughts about what's happening? I thought it was crazy. Who would know that, right? Because, you know, I know this is recorded, but our Canadian government, our supposing authority, said that in 2020, our real estate price was going to drop 20%. But it actually went up more than 20%, around 20% across the country. And there are certain pockets went up 50%. So, you know, who to trust, right? So to us, like stock market is a lot more volatile, but in real estate market, a lot of time is the more you educate yourself, the more open book it is, right? So you mentioned the price was going up a lot in US and Canada. It went up a lot, especially in Toronto, which is the city I'm staying in, the financial capital kind of for Canada. You know, if we look at the open book, we know the government policies that we're going to allow half a million 400 to half a million people every year to Canada. And we know that Toronto provide most of the job is kind of like the San Francisco of US is Toronto. So 40% of people come here and oil price has been kind of has been kind of you know hurt. So a lot of those people migrate between province to Toronto as well. So more people come in, more diversity, more GDP, more jobs. It's not hard to guess what will happen to the housing price. And also in Canada, you know, I can't speak for U.S., but in Canada, the government is putting a lot of uh, regulation to make the developer and builders hard to build new houses because the cost doesn't make sense. The supply issue, the supply chain issue doesn't make sense. So guess what? A lot of people, a lot of investors like myself, you know, if we cannot, we're not going to buy in the core area where it doesn't cash flow because cash flow is not the, the bread and butter. But it's our safety net in case something happened. It's the part of running a business. We don't go belly up if something happened, right? But if we can go further out, like an hour, an hour half drive out, we can still find cash flow property where we put right. our expertise into it to renovate into putting like multifamily, right? You put an extra couple units or more units. Now you can pull out more of the money and you go do the next one. Now your risk is a lot lower because technically all the money in the property could be bank's money, right? It's house money, right? So from there, you could get it kind of like an infinite return kind of thing, right? And how does that work with like all the stock option thing? It's really, real estate is good for net worth generation, in my opinion. Most of the real estate, the gain for the past five years I got was from appreciation, mortgage pay down. The cash flow is great, but all the cash flow was kept in the property, especially after COVID. I'm ever more worried. I always put in like six months rent in there. So most of the cash flow, I don't take it up. It's from the mortgage pay down and the appreciation because from the leverage. Now, a lot of my students, they get that appreciation. They're like, Cody, but I can't eat equity and I don't want to sell, but I live like frugally. I shouldn't be living frugally. Yeah. Well, they were like, yeah, we should be living frugally, but can I just work less hour? Or can I re retire my spouse? Or can I just have multiple streams of income? And this is where they look into stock option. It's kind of like you can 
use whatever you we do in the in the real estate market, which are very smart. You know, there's strategy like you can do marketing and buy off-market deals, right? You guys probably know most of the commercial stuff is off-market, right? Pocket listing. If you can get off-market deals, that's below market value, right? And then if you want to get it, you can kind of rent to own it out, right? The rent to own strategy, kind of you cap your upside, but hey, you kind of already put in a percentage in. And this is the strategy we are doing in stock option. And we're getting paid like an insurance company to agree to buy off-market deal. Instead of paying a finder's fee, we are getting paid. And then we're getting paid once we own the property, own the stock, we rent it out and we're getting paid again. So this is a cash flow play that goes really well in the wealth generating game because buy real estate, as it goes up, we pull out more money to buy more real estate. If we don't have something to buy, put in a trading account, we generate one to 4% per month, boom, 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 next down payment or we found something, okay, pull out to buy more and we're going in that circle, if that kind of makes sense, right? On top yeah. of your business income, on top of your personal income, we just have another way of not just leaving money in the bank. And we all know inflation is a lot higher than it is broadcast. It's more than 6%. So if you're not making more than 6% per year, you're technically losing money, right? It's a, it's interesting. You're basically using the cash flow from the assets and invest that in the stock market to generate more income instead of just consuming that cash flow. And then it goes away if you use it for, for living expenses, for instance. How have you been dealing with kind of the constraints of, on supply in the single family home market? Because that's something that is on a lot of people's minds. There's not a lot of assets out there. And part of it is because institutionals are buying a lot. And part of it is also because it's kind of a chicken and the egg. People don't want to sell because there's not a lot of inventory out there. But then if they're not going to sell, others would be able to buy their homes. And so those two forces are putting a lot of pressure on the supply of single family homes. How do you go about it? How do you handle that issue? I think the issue has been ever more prominent, especially in where you live and where I live. So we go yeah. further out, but we are not forcing a buy. Like the good part about, you know, us or yourself is that yes, we could buy a lot more, but when there's no capital pushing us, right? If we can't yeah. find something, it's okay if we don't buy. We don't need to buy something just because right. we need to build the portfolio, right? For, for me, I'd rather be smaller, but I know I have a more profit margin or more buffer in case something happened. That's how I sleep at night, right? And I know a lot of people are into volumes. You can build like, if you want to build like portfolio size, you have you, a lot of time you have to buy something and not put in value. You have to buy the end product of it just because you need to deploy right. that capital, right? But on my side, uh, you know, we have marketing strategies to buy off-market deals. We, we know the, the local realtors, all the connections. So I will be the first one. And then when I close, I'll be the first one, right? I'm always in line. If someone have a deal, will come to me first because I can close. I'll pay you more for it. So you kind of have to, you know, have the whole operation set in stone. And it, you know, if you're in one area, that's great. But if you're in multiple areas, that a little bit tougher to build all those power teams. But if you're in a specific area, it's a lot easier to handle that, right? And a lot of people, you can set yourself apart by having a good operation and actually spend money on finding good deals, which a lot of investors are not willing to do, right? That was, that's right. what sets you apart. You know, we spend yeah. a lot of money on marketing, but just one deal can bring the whole year's marketing. 
Exactly. It's an investment. It's an investment like, like anything else. If you're willing to pay up front, you're risking losing that money, but the upside can be pretty significant. You're absolutely right. And, and I agree with you. We also go about 30 to 60 minute outside of main cities where we find, you know, more value because tenants are moving there because now they don't need to go to work. They can work from home and the same $1,500, $2,000 can get them a nicer, newer apartment. Exactly. And because they're moving to the suburbs and that started years before COVID and it's just, COVID just accelerated that because they're moving to the suburbs, then other businesses are following more, you know, services. They have nice parks, they have more restaurants, more, they have basically all the services they used to have in the city that you couldn't really find in the suburbs. Now you can find it in the suburbs as, as well. And this is where, you know, we find the value. So Cody, I want to kind of transition and talk about the process of financing, finding capital for single family homes. I'm assuming you're using your own capital, but a lot of investors that are just starting out, they don't necessarily have the capital and some of them do have capital. What are the different kind of sources of capital that you've seen out there? Yeah, so that's just such a good question, Eli. And to be honest, you are the answer. You authority in this space by having a podcast, educating people. So when people think about investing in multifamily, they come to you. This is the most cost efficient way, most effective way of attracting capital. If you ever think about whether it's private money, whether you're going to build a fund or whether it's a joint venture partnership kind of thing, this is the best way, but not everyone is very comfortable putting themselves out there and introduce a stranger like me kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. you know, if you're just starting out, really the best way is, and I will say, if you're just graduating or for younger people, really just reach out to your circle, people who trust you the yeah. most start there, build a track record and you're proving yourself too, because you're not taking people's money that you don't know and you're risking it. You, 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 you have a trust and then you have a more margin of error and, you know, you can work, work all your kinks out and go from there and, you know, build your authority and start attracting instead of chasing people, right? Because once you're authority in, in the space, Right, people come to you. Is that like people come to me for stock option, real estate investing, and then all the deals and all that because they know, right? So you're not instead of chasing, you're attracting, and you have a proven track record for it, right? Uh, so I'll say to conclude that in the beginning, reach out to your circle of influence, which is people who are close to even your parents, and they're willing to help if they think you yeah. know what you're doing. Start there, right? Friends and all that. And then build your way up and start reaching out to a bigger circle of people. At that time, you already have traffic either on social media or on your website or, or pictures, videos, all that really counts, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that advice. And you also mentioned there, if you know what you're doing, meaning you don't just go in and ask for money and just figure it out, invest time and energy in learning the basics. There's, you know, you can read books, listen to podcasts, read on online, go to YouTube. There's a lot of sources paid and free that are very, very comprehensive that you can learn it. You can, you know, I remember when I started, I, I would go to 
any event I could find in the U.S. and fly everywhere, meet people. Yeah, I mean, l- listening to conferences and and uh, and lectures and really educating myself. And, and once you do that, over time, people will trust you enough with their money because you don't, even if they trust you, you think, oh, you're a smart guy, you'll figure it out. You owe it to them to to spend time and educating yourself and finding the right person to to guide you through this. Um, on board. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So when it comes to strategy, and that's we're kind of shifting gears here. You're a first generation of wealth, you know, builder coming from Taiwan to to Canada. How challenging is it to do it? Because you know you have your family over there. You're basically starting from scratch. You came here as a student. And there's always kind of the, the pool between, you know, do I go back home? Do I start something here? Starting something is, it's always uncomfortable, but you always have the hunger that never leaves you. But I'm curious to hear about, you know, your experience and, and how did you find that courage and that drive to start investing in real estate, start building your own net worth and network and wealth? Yeah, that's such a great question. And we were having this chat offline. I think to start off, you need to have a strong mental health, as in you're willing to learn, you're willing to try, and you're willing to look at what is the downside risk and acknowledge it and try your best to reduce that. That gives me the confidence to move on things really fast and pivot, right? Either trying new things, trying new strategy in real estate, and pivot really fast and really have a really strong mind knowing that you know there's no ego in here if you need to ask please ask people are willing to help but if you don't ask you will never get right the worst thing is mm-hmm. no right and yeah. then this goes a really long way and for me as an immigrant when i came to canada i could barely speak english so for me i know there's no way back because i can't just put the tail behind my leg and say, yeah, sorry, I got kicked mm-hmm. out from my engineering school. That was my biggest fear. And I turned that fear into, you know what? I'm going to go extra miles. Instead of my en- just going to my, my mandatory engineering course, I'm going to go to finance accounting at night. I was above my curriculum. I couldn't even sign up because I was full. The school will, let, will not let me sign up, but I just go. For the sake of sitting there until the professor knows me, thought it was part of the class, right? And then after graduation, I was driving one hour one way after a long hour of day, go to all the real estate seminars whenever I can. I was listening to podcasts on my way there, on my way back. That time my partner thought I was Superman. And she still thought it was Superman right now. But now I, you know, I can dial it back and be more efficient on the time, right? And that's why I get on, you know, I was invited on this podcast, right? But starting out. It's really just the mindset, never give up, keep figuring out and start doing something. Don't get into analysis paralysis. You can only learn so much by watching on the sidelines. Do it. If you need extra help, accountability, get a coach or a mentor. It really helps. And everything I pay into a a coaching and mentorship, always pay 10x back. And I do my due diligence on it, but always tend to pay 10x back. And I don't know what I don't know until I got into it. And to this day, I'm still paying a lot for business coaching, for real estate coaching. And I'm still taking other people's stock courses, even though I'm teaching stocks. I still want to learn. I still talk to all the good traders. If they were willing to talk to me and let me take their course, because I can learn a different perspective or learn something I don't know, I can bring it back to my student. It's all worth it. 
right? I have no ego attached there. So a lot of people, once they get to a certain stage, they have an ego now, right? So I always tell myself, no ego, Cody, always since day one, mm-hmm. ask, okay? Always expansion, expanding, okay? Be humble, help people. So I have to write my side and I still get no every day, right? People still say no to me every day and it's okay. As long as you know what you're doing. Absolutely. And I, I love that because mindset plays such a pivotal and, you know, important role in anyone's success. And you're absolutely right. Analysis paralysis is the worst thing that can happen because from my experience, the more intelligent the person is, the more cautious he or she is because they see all the different scenarios. You know, I used to be a lawyer, so I'm trained to think about all the bad things that can happen. How am I protecting yeah, in, investors from, and that can paralyze you, right? That can be the reason why you're not doing it. Because if you think about it, yeah, you can lose money. Yes, you can lose your company. You can destroy your career. You can do, you can make a lot of mistakes, but you also, it's like any other investment, you take the right steps, you invest in the right vehicles, in the right knowledge base, so you minimize that risk. And then it's all about, you can never eliminate the risk to zero, but, but you can reduce the likelihood exactly of that happening. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's, you totally nail it right on, right on point, right? Just, you know the risk, acknowledge it, mitigate it, and yeah. move forward. Right, but not going in circles, right? Yeah, exactly. Going in circles is, is, is the worst thing you can do. Well, we've arrived to the last part of our discussion today, the lightning round questions. Five quick questions. Are you ready, Cody? Yeah, let's go. All right. So number one, what's your favorite hobby besides buying real estate and investing in the stock market? Currently, it's racing, taking my Porsche, which is fulfill nice. my childhood dream. And, you know, I, I start getting coaches on tennis, coaches on golfing. And yeah, just trying to have hobbies I can do until I'm 80s or maybe 100 by the time I'm 100, right? Maybe the technology will advance to the point we'll live to 120, 30 years old. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All right. Cody, what do you wish that you had known when you started out? Wish I would have known. I will wish I've known and pay for coaching and mentoring since day one. I wish someone would push me to do it. Someone I trust would push me to do it because that could have saved me so many years. If I have a coach or mentor started in real estate in 2016 or started in stocks in 2011, I could have started a lot earlier than that mm-hmm. and, and get some yeah. guidelines and save a lot of time and money. And that it's all very valuable. Right. So absolutely. I, I wish someone could have pushed me harder. Someone I trust. All right. So next question is, what's your advice for living an extraordinary life? That's a great question. And I think we're constantly trying to find the answer to that. But at this point, my answer to that is knowing yourself more as in what you're good at, what you're bad at, what you really like and what you really don't like. And then double down the things you like, double down the things you're good at. That's the biggest thing to live extraordinary life, but not looking at what others are doing and try to imitate them, right? You really got to know yourself, what you really like. You know, living as if you can't live in the last day of your life, but you got to know yourself to be very honest with yourself 
and to really treat yourself honestly, right? And that's a lot of time the hardest part to look yourself in the mirror and say, shoot, that's a person that I don't like. And, you know, I was、mm. being that person, right? So be very honest with yourself and understand yourself. I will say that's, that's the great biggest way. Great advice. All right, Cody, where can people find you? Yeah, I, you know, you can type in Cody Ye in Google, like C O D Y space Y E H in Google. You'll find me. The first three pages, me. Or you can you can help me put the link in the description. I have a Facebook group, more than 4,000 people who are interested in stock and option, and most of them are real estate investors as well. So you can join that group to join the like minded people. On top of that, you know, I have a YouTube channel. I only have 18 videos, but there's like 14,000 subscribers. Planning to come back for more. So you can chime into、That's、that、great. as well. And, and then I just like what we said, I think if you have the will, you'll always find me. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Cody A, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for your time as well. All right. And for you, the listeners, I hope that、uh, you're leaving this conversation a little bit smarter than you started it. Be bold, be great, and create your own kind of extraordinary life. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. s